Good morning. What's up, Tommy? It's good to see you, man. Everybody say hi, Tommy. He's right there. Just he's right there. Ah, we're a few seats short this morning. I feel Luke. Luke twenty-one. Jesus, he's sitting by the side of the temple and he says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a poor widow giving two mites. It's like a couple pennies. And he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Because everybody else gave out of their abundance. And she gave of all that she had. I'm so thankful that we have a God who isn't looking for like a perfect inspection and a wealthy offering from us. This isn't about money. It's why we come, come before him to worship, to give our all. If you've got two billion mites, cool. Bring them all inside, I'm talking about. If you only have one mite left this morning and you're in this place that's somewhere down here, just bring that. A couple verses before, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem on a donkey. Like it's not a stallion. He doesn't have armies behind him. He's on a donkey in this really humble thing. And he literally gets up on a cross and gives everything he has. Ashamedly, openly. And he gives it to the Father. And the Father looks at this widow and says, you're given more than everybody. He's not impressed with our riches. He's not impressed with our standing, our position, our energy. Our... He just wants all of us. So whatever that is for you, if you've got two cents worth of energy this morning because you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or you've got somewhere in between, or everything is just rocked and loaded. Right, Tommy? like you give it to him meet him this morning I'm excited to meet Jesus this morning he comes and inhabits our praise amen stand with us this praise praise you Lord Father we do worship you today you are you are God you are Lord you are King you are worthy to be praised. Father, I thank you that we are living in a country where we are free and where we can come together and worship freely. And Lord, we stand and we stand and we say that you are worthy and that you are Lord. Lord over our lives, Lord over our families, Lord over this church, Lord over these states, both Minnesota and Wisconsin, and Lord over this country. We declare it. 
we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the authority to be light, salt and light here on this earth. For the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached unashamedly and to touch this whole St. Croix River Valley, the states of Minnesota and Wisconsin, this country, and around the world. Thank you, Lord for what you've done for us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't you greet one another? Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Beginning with verse 6. This is John. He's writing about himself, but he quickly changes focus to the one who matters. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, or which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise God. Can I get an amen out of that one? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace. Upon grace. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So John is talking about John the Baptist, and he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about how Jesus came and the message that Jesus had that Jesus had a message to show uh, the Father to the world, to introduce the Father to the world. And how did he do that? Well, he was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is all man, but he's all God. And he is at the right hand of the Father. And so as he said at the very end of his life, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Nobody has seen the Father. The Bible says that no man can see the Father. Nobody, no man can look onto the Father except the Son. And the Son reveals Him to whomever he, he chooses. And Jesus chooses three of you. That's it. Just three. There's only three of you that He'll show Himself. No. It says that He showed, it, showed Himself to the whole world. He, he came here openly 
And when he came here openly, the world didn't receive him. The ones who should have received him, the Jews, they didn't receive him. Because they looked at him and said, well, he's just a man. He's just Joseph's son. He's just a man. He's just from Nazareth. He's just from Galilee. He's just, 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 he's just. And Jesus even said, he goes, no man, no prophet has honor in his own hometown. He's just Jesus. Well, we know more now. We know better. He's not just Jesus. He's Jesus. He's God in flesh. Emmanuel. Praise God. But he says something here very interestingly. Uh, John writes very interestingly. He said, and, I, and I, I, I pause there for dramatic reasons. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And we're going to come back to that. So I just got done, uh, finished up, closed up on a series on faith. I didn't say, I didn't share everything about faith. I haven't, I didn't, it didn't exhaust the topic. You could spend years talking about faith and talking about what faith is. But I spent a number of weeks, I think I spent eight or nine or ten weeks talking about faith. And faith, we talked about, isn't a big ooey-wooey, spiritual, super-spiritual uh, concept that, boy, we just, you know, if it, if it wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for Him, we would understand. It, it's, it's not difficult. Faith is not a difficult subject. It's a hard subject. Does that make sense? It's not difficult. It's easy because we, we, I broke it down into a series of words, and the first word was Trust. Faith is trust. That's, that's really all that faith is. Faith is just trusting in something. You know, if I, if I sit down on this chair, I look at this chair, I trust that that chair will hold up my weight. Wow. That's all I got to say. Just wow. But here's the truth. Here's the reality. Not every chair can hold up under my weight. Amen. (laughs) Brian's witnessed it. Years and years ago, 2004, 2004, where uh, Pastor Greg and, and, and Brian and Pastor Dan and I were all in a, in a gypsy village in Romania, all in the middle of nowhere. We're in a, we're actually in a basement of a cow, of a, of a horse stable. They dug out the basement of a horse stable. Think about that just for a second. They dug, they dug out the basement of a, of a horse stable and they made a church. It was actually quite nice. It was, you know, it was very interesting. It was small. It was probably about, what, 15 feet wide by about 20 feet long. And there was over, I'd say, 80, 90 people in that room. They're tiny people, though. They're tiny. They're very small people. I'm not. And so they looked at me when I walked in the door, and they all had these big, thick, you know, plank benches that they were sitting on. And they looked at me, but they wanted they wanted to give us the best chairs. So they gave us these folding chairs, wooden folding chairs. And I sat down on it, and I, I'm really careful when I sit down on chairs that I don't know. I've actually been to some of your homes, and you go, don't sit on that chair. We'll give you a different one, you know. <laughs> We'll give you the metal chair, the big metal wrought iron, you know. But I, I, I looked at that chair and I went, I don't know, you know. And I sat down and it moved. And, and, and we're so weird. But I thought, okay. And, and they gave us the best chair. They just wanted to give us the best. That was so beautiful. You know, it was really nice. 
Well, Pastor Dan is preaching. Pastor Dan is preaching. If you remember Pastor Dan, if you know Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan is Pastor Dan, man. I mean, he's just something else. And so he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching the word of God. And all of a sudden, a drunk guy comes through the back door. The door just opens up. Wham! Bang! Walks in. His name is Kalman. I'll never forget it. It's K A L M A N. Kalman. I'll never forget that name. I don't know why, but it's just in there. And the door opens up and he's drunk, man. He is flat out drunk. And he goes, Somebody stole my tea. I didn't know he said that, but that's what the interpreter said. He goes, because he's yelling, somebody, was it tea? Oh, was it stronger than tea? His, his whatever, his booze. Some, somebody stole my booze. And then the whole place turns and looked at him. They were all aghast, you know. And, and, he, and they were like, okay, kick him out, kick him out. And Pastor Dan's preaching. He goes, no, stop. He says, come up here. And this guy, man, he had like a three days growth of beard and he smelled nasty. And he, but he comes and so he comes up all drunk and Pastor Dan goes, sir, sir, I love you. God loves you. And when God loves you, we can love each other. I, I can love you and you can love me and I can love you. And you can love me. And I can love you. And you can love me. And I turned to Brian and I said, man, if he breaks into the Barney song, I'm out of here. (laughs) And Pastor Dan being Pastor Dan, so all of a sudden goes, I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. He's singing this, and the interpreter's going, I'm not repeating that. I'm not, I'm not. I start laughing so hard. I start laughing, because I, I called it. I called it. I knew it was coming, and I, I start laughing, and I start shaking, and all of a sudden, bam, the chair just disintegrates. Pieces of wood all over the place, man. I mean, just... And I'm laying on the floor, and now I'm laughing even harder. And he's sitting next to me, and he's laughing. He can't help it. And, and all of a sudden, like five or six of these little gypsies, Brian, they're only about this big, they're trying to pick me up off the floor. Where was I? Faith in a chair. That's right. If I have faith in that chair, I trust that when I sit down on it, it's going to hold me. That's faith. Faith is trust. But, but the, I can have faith, I can believe that that chair is going to hold me up, but unless I put it into action, that's the next word. We talked about that faith is an action. Well, actually, there were some other words before that, but I'm here. Faith, I can, I, well, faith, faith is expectation. That's the next word that we talked about. Faith is, is trust. Faith is expectation. So when I sit down on that, I expect it to hold me up. And then faith is an action. Because without action, faith is nothing more than hope or a mental ascent. So then I have to actually sit down. And you're all going, when's, when's he going to sit down on the chair? I'm going to do it right now. Here we go. There you go. So, so faith is an action. If I can say it all day long, but until I actually do it, do something about it, 
It's, it's not faith. Faith means, is, a, is a verb. Faith is you believe it so much you do something about it. Then we talked about how faith is persistent. You, you, you have to keep persisting. And because it's, it's not going to, ha- it doesn't always happen immediately. When you're believing something that God's told you he's going to do, it doesn't happen immediately. Some, most of the time. It, and maybe it does early on, but the older you get, the more mature you get, the longer it can take. You have got to stick with it. And last, I think we talked about that faith is, is last week. Huh? Persistence? I just said persistence. No, no, what was that? I had the word earlier. During worship, I, was, I had the word. Tenacity. Tenacity. That's good enough. You stick with it. You don't give up. You don't quit. You don't quit. You don't quit. You just keep going. Well, we talked about faith. Praise God, we're saved by faith. Amen? We're not saved by faith. I did that on purpose to trick you. How are we saved? Turn to Ephesians. I know, I know, I know. We're going. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read this in context. Because we're not saved by faith. The Bible says that without faith, we cannot please God. But we're not saved by faith. We're saved a different way. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You can find that in Romans. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is born into the sin nature. You saw, some of you saw me holding, and Debbie holding our grandbaby. Our grandbaby is just the best! We're being grand, we get to be grandparents all weekend long. The kids, they're on, their, they're on a honeymoon, well not a honeymoon, they're on a two year anniversary weekend. They get to get away, you know, and they get to go have some fun. Three years, no. Three years? How long have we been married? 35? See, I remember ours. I don't have to remember his. You know? <laughs> three years. Wow, how, how time flies. They're on the three, and, and we get to be grandparents. Oh, she is the sweetest thing, man. I mean, just this morning she saw me and she squealed and she, you know, came over and gave me a big hug and laid on my, oh, it's so beautiful. <sighs> but she was born into sin. She needs a savior. She needs a savior. These, you know, our children, as much as we love them, as much as we, you know, they're, they're just so sweet and so awesome. Man, when they turn two, you don't have to teach them to sin. You don't have to teach them to be belligerent. You don't have to teach them to disobey. You don't have to teach them. Why? Because they were born into sin. Anybody who tells you that that human beings are, are naturally good, they're lying. Or they're just completely mistaken. They human beings are are evil. 
And they need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. I need the Word of God to show me what truth is. So Paul says here in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, yes, in Ephesians, that verse 3, and we and we're all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, praise God. Say but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. grace. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show them immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Then first, verse 8, the big one says, and here's where we get our definition of how we're saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We're not saved by faith. We're not saved by trusting God. We're not saved by, by just trusting that He exists or trusting that He is all-powerful. You can, you can trust that he is, he is the God of all the universe and He is the, the master of all things. You can trust that that's true, but the Bible says that even the, de- even the demons know that. And they're not saved. They're marked for eternal damnation. Why? Because they don't have grace extended to them. They did at one point. They were in the presence of God. And they chose to reject Him. That's evil. That is the epitome of evil. For for Satan to be in the presence of God. The Bible says that he was the lead worshiper. He was in the worship of God. He was in the he led the worship of God. And he chose to reject that God. To reject to reject that lordship, to reject that kingship and to say I will rise myself. I I will lift myself up above. I pride when we think we can do this in our own strength, in any way, shape, or form. So this is the first. I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm just starting to break down this idea of grace. We're going to go way deep into it. Grace is more than what you think. And, and, and if you've studied it, I mean, you're going to know a lot. But grace is way more than what most people think. Because there's saving grace, but then there's also graces for many other things. The grace to live your life only comes from Him. The grace to do anything, the grace to succeed at anything, the grace to, 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 for me to stand up here this morning, it only comes from God. And that grace, the definition of that is quite, quite big. We, we need to break it down as time. But this morning, we're talking about saving grace. Saving grace. Verse 8, let's read that again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Interesting. Which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. For by grace you're saved through faith. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. For by grace you're saved through faith. What is grace? What is the definition of grace? That's, you know, we, so we, many times I start there because we have to understand what the word means. And, and you might have one thought of what grace means, and you might have another thought of what grace means, and I might have my own idea of what grace means. But what does, what does the Bible talk about in grace? What are we, when we, we, when we use the word grace, what are we saying? Is grace this? Now, did you catch that on film? Because that's the only time that will ever happen. I'm just letting you know. Because I'm not graceful. Bull in a china shop most of the time. Grace isn't about how you move. Now, there is, you know, the definition of grace. One of them is, the human definition is, you know, flowing of, of movement, flowing, flowing in a graceful way. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about what is grace. Well, salvation... Well, let's put it this way. This is the biblical definition of what grace is. It is the free and unmerited favor of God. It is the free and unmerited favor of God. God, in His grace, because Jesus was, is full of grace, He decided to give you something that you can't earn. He chose. He chose to give you something that you can't earn, that you don't deserve, that you can't purchase with anything. It is, it is beyond you. It's beyond every single one of you. There's nothing you can do to receive the gift that He gave you. And that the first one we're talking about here is salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. He has chosen to give you grace, to give you the ability to have salvation. And none of it has anything to do with who you are. None of it has anything to do with what you've done. None of it has anything to do with what, anything you could ever do. He did not look and he said, well, I'm going to give, I'm going to give grace to you. I'm going to, I'm going to give salvation to you, but you know, I'm going to give it to you free to begin with, but then every other day after that, you have to earn it. It's not how it works. He says, I'm going to give you salvation. God chose, God chose to give you salvation and he didn't put any stipulations on it other than believe me, trust me. By grace, by his desire to give it to you, by his choice, his free will, by his decision, he gave you the ability to have salvation. His only stipulation is, trust me. Have faith. Trust me that I'm giving it to you. That's it. 
You don't have to do anything before that happens. I've had people tell me, well, I'm going to get my life cleaned up before, before I receive that salvation, before I get saved. No, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. You can't get cleaned up. You can't even get cleaned up after you're saved. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't serve enough. You can't give enough. So the, we talked about it. You know, I heard him sharing that this morning. I went, here we go. Holy Ghost has a message. You don't have... But how many of you... Maybe don't raise your hand. Sometimes I have you raise your hand. Don't make, today I won't have you say, How many of you sometimes wake up in the morning and you don't feel saved? And you think, well, maybe if I pray more today, I'll feel more saved. Or maybe if I read my Bible. Oh, I just haven't read my Bible yet. If I read my Bible, then I'll feel saved. Then I'll, I'll feel justified. Don't waste your time. That's not why we read the Bible. That's not why we do anything. It's not why we pray. That's not why we give. Salvation is yours. He has given you the right, the, the opportunity to be saved. You have to believe it and trust Him. That what He did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, gets you there. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because Satan's coming to you every day and saying, you know, you actually don't deserve it. You, you, you messed up yesterday. You know, you gossiped about your neighbor. I don't know who that was for. It was for somebody here. You coveted your neighbor's lawnmower. Actually, I've got the best lawnmower in the neighborhood. Just you know, you know. Some people are dealing with pride. But here's the deal. We, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't earn His self. He said, you know what? You can't do it. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll do it. I'll do it for you. His grace, His, His unmerited favor, His free gift to you is you can spend eternity with Him in heaven. All you have to do is trust Him. Trust Him enough to say, okay, Jesus, you get to be Lord. You get to be Lord of my life. Lord, I, G, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Man, do you remember that day? Do you remember the day you said that for the very first time? Do you remember the day you received Christ? You said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And it was like, yes, this is wonderful. And then the next day you woke up and you were a, still the person you were the day before. In the flesh. In the flesh. And you did stuff. You did stuff you didn't, you weren't proud of. You did stuff you that, you know, you didn't like. You did stuff that other people didn't like. And you just, you just, you, you fell short. Man, did you have to get saved again? No. Forty years into it, okay? Just so you know, just anybody who's been in this for 40 years, if you woke up this morning and you go, ah, I just, you know, I didn't live very good yesterday. I made some, I, 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 was, I was really judgmental towards whomever, the pastor, man. I just I was really judgmental towards, I was, oh, I just, I really coveted that. I really hated that. I really, oh, I don't feel, you're just as saved then as the other, as the moment you said it for the first time. It's by grace that you're saved. You're not saved because you do anything. It is not by works. It is not 
by deeds. It is not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why I pause there. It says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But it said before, it's not by works that you're saved. Right. He's given you works to do. There's things for you to do, and there's things that that you need to do. There's things you should do. There's things you should pray. You should spend time in the Word. But it's not for your salvation. Yes. It's so that you know Him more. Debbie and I are married. We've been married for 35 years. I remember the day I said, I do. I mean, I remember. We have, we have been just as married today as we were back then. I don't have to do anything to continue to be married to her. But I better. <laughs> and it's not because she demands it, because she's, she's not. She, she doesn't, well, most of the time. But I, I, I should, because why? Why should I continue to, to show her acts of love, show her, and, and to do, I should take out the garbage, I should empty the dishwasher, I, could, I should do this, I should, why should I do that? Be, not because if I don't do it, I'm not married anymore. Because here's the deal, I don't have to think about that. I, th- this is really actually a, a very applicable. I am just as married to her whether I empty the dishwasher or not. I'm, I am just as married to her whether I take out the garbage or mow the lawn or do any of those things. But why do I do it? Because, because I want to please her. I want to shower. She likes when she wakes up in the morning and there's no dishes in the dishwasher. And always, always I get, oh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I'm thinking, well, thank you for cooking and cleaning and getting the you know groceries and 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 you know washing my clothes. I mean, I, if I said thank you for everything, I just that's why I don't. There's just so many things. <laughs> but she always. But I don't do it because well, I have to. Otherwise, we won't be married tomorrow. I do it because I love her. So why do you read the Bible? Because you have to. As the preacher said I had to, or the teacher, or whatever. No, it's because I love God. I want to know Him more. I want to spend time with Him. Why do, I, why do I, you know, get up yesterday morning at 4.30, got ready, got down to the race, was at the race from, from 7, well, 6.30, I was there at 6.30, making sure everybody's in their place, and making sure... For those of you who don't know, we, we, were, we marshaled a race. And for everyone who was there yesterday, God bless you. Thank you so much. Because uh, they, many of you are not the regular people who do it all the time. Some of you are, but that many of them are up at camp. What were they thinking? What was Peter thinking? But you guys came through, man. I mean, we, we, it was awesome. You guys were amazing. But So I was there early, and I worked all day long, and then I got done with the race. I was the last one to, to, to cross the finish line with, you know, with the last walk. You know, I was following the last walker in. And then, and then I went home, and I took a quick nap, and then I jumped back in the car and drove three hours up to camp. was in that hot, miserable camp. And then I preached. 
Then I thought, and then we jumped back in the car and we drove three hours back. Why do I do that? Because God demands it of me. And he's going to be in pleased with me if I, no, it's because I love him. And I love doing what needs to be done. I love being a part of the kingdom. It's out of love. When it's out of love, it no longer, it's not work anymore. No, this morning it felt like work. I mean, I felt like, whoa. I felt like I got ran over by a truck, and if I nod off in the middle of the sermon this morning, I apologize. But we don't do things because we're dem- it's demanded of you, and if you don't do it, God is going to be so unpleased. Do you know that God doesn't get mad at you anymore? God's not mad at you. He's not even disappointed in you. Let that one sink in just for a second because, okay, he may not be mad at me. He may not, you know, hate me. He may not, but, you know, I am sure there's times he's disappointed in me. No. He loves you. God is love. There's a, there's a verse that says God is love. Do you know there's another verse that says that God is grace? He is gracious. He loves you. He's gracious. He knows who you are. He gets who you are. He he understood who you were, who you are, the moment he called you. And do you know when he do you know when his eyes were on you and he was he was wanting you to be a part of his family? Before you were born. Before you were even formed in your your mother's womb. He knew you. And his heart was towards you. And he, he knew. So he knew. If he knew back then and decided to give you grace, why would he not give you grace today? Why would he be disappointed in you now? He knows. He, man, you know how many times I've come to the point where I was just beating myself up because, I, oh, you know, I messed up again. I thought this. I did this. I, 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 my heart was whatever, whatever sin. And I'm beating myself up because I don't want to live that way. And I want to honor God. And I'm, oh, and I, I'm the only one who's mad at me. God's not looking at me going, didn't see that one coming, John. Didn't realize 40 years ago, 50 years ago that you were going to make that mistake. He knew he knows my whole days. He knows all my days. And he still chose me. He reminds me of that on a regular basis. I chose you knowing who you were going to be all the way to the end of your life. And I chose you because I love you. That's a love and a grace that we need to get a hold of. He chooses to love you. That's actually what marriage is. And that's why marriage is so important. That's why a marriage, is, is it shows the love of God. That I chose to love her 36 years ago. She chose to love me. That's why there are no options. We are together. We are married. We will be married until we die. Why? Because it is a picture of how God loves us. There's a reason it's, it talks about how God how Jesus has a bride who is the church. He has chosen to love us, and there's nothing you can do to change that in his mind. You can't screw up enough. 
You, I just heard somebody say this in a teaching recently. He says, you can be, you're saved, you're saved, man, you're saved and you're going down the road and all of a sudden, one day you decide, you know what, I'm going to rob a bank. I'm going to go rob a bank. I choose to go rob a bank. I'm going to do it. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. I, didn't, I wasn't with some other people who were robbing a bank. I decided to go rob a bank. So I go to the bank and I rob the bank. He says, you know how much, does God love you the same before you rob the bank as after, the, after you rob the bank? Yes, he loves you just the same. But here's the deal with sin, there's consequences for sin. <laughs> the funny part is when he took it all the way to the end, he goes, so when the police arrest you and you spend 15 years in prison, you'll have plenty of time to spend with God. But it doesn't change his view of who you are. When we understand grace, when we understand his unmerited favor, his un, we, we don't have to earn anything. You don't have to work to please God. He is already pleased. So then why do we, have to, why, why do we not want to sin? Because we don't want the, the, the consequences of sin to pull us back. We, why should it? He set us free from the law of sin and death. Why would we go back to it? Why would I go back to hate? Why would I go back to that? He's given me the grace. He's given me this free gift of salvation and life. Why not walk in that and enjoy the freedom? Enjoy the, the, the joy, the, the life. Why sin? Why covet? Why steal? Why lie? Why, why any of that stuff? It's, it's just it's stupid. Choose life. But it doesn't change how much He loves you. That's grace. Grace. Salvation is not dependent on grace alone. If it were, think about this just for a second. This is not a verse. This is, this is a, a thought. Salvation is not dependent on grace. If it were, everyone in the world would be saved. So, when I said, what's, what saves you, it's not faith, it's grace through faith. It's a, it's a combination. It's, it's grace saves you, but you have to, have to work with it. Remember the action? Trusting Him and then putting it into action. I have to choose by faith to believe what Jesus did for me on that cross pays for my sins. And that's the reason there are millions and millions and probably billions and billions of people not saved is because God's grace is to them, but they haven't mixed it with faith. They haven't put their faith in Him that He did it for them to receive that gift. The gift is there for them. Now, let's just hit this one head on. Just run right into it. Do you know there are people, Christians, in this world that says that God's gift is not for everyone? Now, we're not going to go real deep into the whole idea of limited atonement. But there are people, there are, I, I have friends, I have ministry friends, other friends who aren't in ministry, who believe that there's there's only grace shown to the ones that God wants to give grace to. So he chooses, he looks at the whole world and goes, 
Okay, I want that person to be saved, and I want that person to be saved, but those people over there, I don't want them to be saved. And definitely not those people. I'm going to give, my grace is just for these people. Do you know that that is not true? God's grace is extended to everyone. That free gift is offered to everyone. Anyone who will believe, anyone who will put faith in what Jesus did, can receive that free gift. Do you want me to prove it to you scripturally? Thank you. I'm glad you asked for me to do that. Turn to Titus. Titus. When was the last time you were in Titus? The last time we did a one-year Bible reading, and you had to read it anyway. So there you go. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I could read it in context. You read it in context. Read it this week. I'm not pulling this verse out of something that means something completely different. This is what it means. Titus chapter 2, beginning with, with verse, where with verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for For the grace of God has appeared. When Jesus came, the grace of God appeared. The grace of God did not exist before that. Before that, God chose a people. He chose the Israelites. And He told them, to please me, here's what you need to do. And we're still in the middle of Deuteronomy in our daily Bible reading. And it's just like I'm getting tired of it you got to cut the meat this way, and you got to lay it this way on the thing, and you got to take some of the blood, and you got to put it on your right earlobe, and then you got to put some on your big toe, and then you gotta, then you got to go do this, and you got to put this vestment on, you got to wash yourselves this many times, and then you got to do and that's all before breakfast. And then you got to go do this, and you got to go do that, and then you have to be this, and you can't go there, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you have to walk this many steps, and you can't walk that many steps. And you, I mean, you just go through this list of rule after rule after rule after rule because they had to earn it. That's why our covenant, our covenant is better. Because we don't have to earn it. I don't have to follow the rules. Oh, oh, careful. Careful, Pastor John. It's a good thing most of the youth aren't here. We only have to straighten out a couple of them. If they get crazy ideas and Pastor said we don't have to follow the rules, you're going, let's not follow the rules. Follow the rules, will you? Just follow the rules. All of you guys. Well, if we say we don't have to follow the rules, people might just, like, be crazy. Well, no, because... My understanding of the way it works is you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and if you're allowing Him to be the Lord of your life, you don't just go do whatever you want. You do what He wants. And I guarantee you, the law of sin and death has been replaced by the law of life. And His He is never going to tell you to sin. He says there is no law against, against grace. There's no law against love. If he is, he is love, he's going to lead you in a direction where he's going to, everything he tells you to do is going to be love. Towards everyone, towards everything, towards everything. He is going to lead you in love. So do those things. If you follow the Spirit and you allow him to lead you and be the Lord of your life, you're not going to be chasing after the rule, the, the, the broken rules. Grace. 
I don't have to earn my way to heaven. I don't ever. I had, I had somebody recently ask me, how much time do you spend reading the Bible every day? Because they, they wanted to know, I'm a pastor, so they wanted to know how much time I, because a pastor must have to read the Bible at least five to six hours a day. To just keep the license, you know, to keep the, you know, to keep, you know, the, to keep the rules. I mean, I must. All right, how many hours, you know, how much time do I spend reading and studying the Bible? Because obviously, if you're going to stand up here in front of us, it's got to be more than me. And, and, and I, you know, and I, and whoever you are out there, you're going, well, I've spent at least six hours, so he better spend seven. You could just feel the oppression, can't you? That, that oppression that, well, if I don't, if I don't do this, and, and, and now many of you are wondering, I wonder how much time he does spend in the Bible. Hmm. More than you, probably, but that's not the point. It's not the point. How much time do you spend in prayer? Pastor, how much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you think I spend in prayer? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's why I love you. He said, how, as much as you need to. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what, the, level, you know what the, the standard for how much time you should spend in prayer every day? Do you know what God has said by His Spirit should be how much time you spend in prayer every day? All day! Amen. Prayer without ceasing. Amen. Well, how do you do that? Man, i got to go to work. i got to wash the dishes. i got to clean up the dishwasher. I've got to mow the lawn. I, how do you do that? It isn't about, okay, I have to read this prayer all day long and I have to make sure I say it all day long. No, it's just being in a constant attitude of listening to the voice of God. Just, I'm always aware of it. I'm driving down the road and I'm just listening. I'm just, you, know, I, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm thinking about other stuff. I'm thinking about pole barns, tools, bacon, thank you. Yeah, so, I'm thinking about bacon, man. That's just all I got to say. I'm thinking about the, well, but in that, if God wants to speak to me, man, I'm ready. Amen. I want to hear his voice. I'm kind of, I'm, we're, I'm driving up to the camp. And I had like three different things I could teach on. Three different things. I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? Nothing. He didn't say anything. No, no, no audible voice, no trumpets. No, there's no, and I'm just, okay, but I'm listening. I'm just, I'm continually seeking him. And then I get to the camp, and I'm going, okay, Lord, which one? Which one of these things am I supposed to talk about? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I get up in front of the kids, and I'm going, okay, Lord, any time now. And all of a sudden, I knew exactly where to go. I just trusted him. But I'm listening. I'm always... But I don't have to do anything for him to be happy with me. He's happy with me. He likes me. God likes me. Do you know that your whole life's going to change when you realize that God likes you? There's a whole lot of people who don't believe that God likes them because you're not walking in His grace. We're going to learn how to walk in grace. We're going we're to learn how to walk in this so much that you just live your life knowing that God likes you. I mean, He loves you, but He even likes you. And when you understand that, the more you understand that daily, the more you're going to be set free. Amen? Right. Good morning. I always love it when people can get up and speak without notes or limited notes. Um, that's not me. So, uh, 
for the offering message today, it's, it's something that God's laid on my heart a number of different times, and it's, um, does God need my money? Right? God doesn't need my money, a friend once said to me, but I need to give it. Right? That's possibly the wisest piece of information I've gotten over the years, or one of the wisest pieces. So here's a few thoughts on it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Psalm 50, verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide enough money from the mouth of a fish to pay the taxes that were needed. right? That's in Matthew 17. The money wasn't counterfeit. The money existed, right? He just directed the fish to swallow it and bring it to pay the taxes. He can use our limited resources and multiply them for everything that he has designed for us to do. And I use the word need. I'm not, I'm not creating a law about this where, you know, I have to do this. I have to. It's I have an opportunity to give because it helps me understand what God has done for me. God is the source of my prosperity, right? He, I need to remember that to seek first his kingdom and all the other things in my life, including my finances, which many times is less important than other things in life, will fall into proper order, right? Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I need to remember that it's not all about me, right? There are people who are less fortunate than I am that God would like to bless through me because I have unique opportunities to come into their lives. Romans 15, 26 through 27 says, For if it please those from Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister them in material things. So we're all in this together, right? God wants to use people to provide for the needs of others, to provide for ministry. That's part of the grace that we receive. I need to give so that I can personally experience the miracle of loaves and fishes. I'm not going to read the whole passage. It'll be up behind me. But you know that they were, they were gathered together, and the disciples said, let them go. Let them go find something to eat. And Jesus looked at them and, and said, you give them something to eat. They're here, and they're like, we really don't have anything but, but some fish and some loaves. But Jesus lifted up what they had, he blessed it, and the miracle happened when they gave it to other people. It multiplied as they distributed it. You know, they didn't think they had enough. Nobody would have thought they had enough to feed, you know, 5,000 men plus women and children. But that wasn't the point. The source was God. The source wasn't the loaves and fishes that the disciples had. The source was God's multiplication of his provision. I need to give because where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be, right? Luke twelve thirty four says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I'm only marginally invested in the church, in our missionaries, or in our ministries, our outreach, 
then I'll only be marginally involved in their work and I will only see marginal results. If I have invested my time, my money, my efforts, I will pray for our ministries, I will pray for our missionaries, I will love them and I will see results because God is community, right? God wants us to work together for this. I also need to give because I'm naturally selfish. Uh, Left to my own inclinations, I will tend to invest my time, my energy, my resources in enriching me and not really promoting God's kingdom. I need to give because God's work is the only work that lasts for eternity. When I give to God, I'm investing in someone else and in their eternity. I can't think of a better work for my money. I need to give to acknowledge that my job or my retirement fund or my investments are not my provider. God is my provider. God is my source. God is the source of everything good in my life. I need to give to remind myself that I serve God. God doesn't serve me. Right? And finally, I need to give because Jesus was my example. He gave everything for me. He gave his life, a perfect life, as a transference for my sins. Amen? So we, you hear this all the time here. We are blessed to be a blessing. I am blessed to be a blessing. I mean, I do believe in the prescribed tithe offerings, alms, practice that. But within that framework, I'm not trying to build a law around it. I'm trying to build a life around it. Amen? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every gift, every giver. Father, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We ask your blessing on the gift and the giver in Jesus' name. And the ways to give will magically appear up on the front. There we go. We can give digitally. We can give in person. There's a box in the back. There's an office on the other side of the building. So God bless you. I'll pray for our um, dismissal, and we'll be done. Father God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the rain that's come to help with our our, uh, grass and the fields. And Father, we thank you for another day that we can celebrate you and we can feel your love in Jesus' name. Amen.